Hello and welcome to the Dietitian Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Jesse McGinley, a registered dietitian working in the field of sports nutrition at the collegiate level. The intention of this podcast is to create and cultivate more conversation and awareness around the field of nutrition and dietetics to elevate the profession as a whole with others who are in the field and working in conjunction to the field or aspiring to be in the field. Today's episode is surrounding the topic of the growth of the profession within dietetics and nutrition, the background to become a dietitian, and where the field is headed and where it has been historically, and how to fully integrate new ideas and new innovations into something that's growing so rapidly. So let's start with the growth. This field is growing at an exponentially fast rate. And what I mean by that, it is not slowing down anytime soon. Even according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the employment of nutritionists and dietitians is projected to grow faster than the average of all other occupations, which is bananas, if you think about it. So with that growth and with the fast rate of growth comes a lot of questions around where and how this field should evolve and how it could evolve and all the possibilities that live in between there. Can we continue to raise the awareness of what a dietitian actually does and and how the occupation can bring value to an establishment while the field is growing at a fast rate and how do we educate aspiring dietitians and aspiring healthcare professionals that work alongside dietitians to be advocates for the field as a dietitian myself i get the question a lot so what do you actually do <laughs> And there's no wrong answer to that question, regardless of what sector that you're working in. I myself, even when I was obtaining my bachelor's degree, I wasn't exposed to what a dietitian can do or all the occupation opportunities available to dietitians. And so hopefully with conversation, this brings an awareness and an expansion to others to understand what we do as dietitians and how we can impact whatever workplace that we're working in. So to really answer that question of what a dietitian does, there's multitude of factors that goes into it, right? There's not just one, one answer that fits all. And starting with the, the values and the mission and the vision of the department, organization, or institution that you are working in, you could work at the same institution, but be in a completely different field of dietetics and have a completely different role and impact than the dietitian next to you. On a macro level at an institution or a university, you could have a dietitian working in the dining center, a dietitian working at the healthcare center, a dietitian working in athletics. All three are registered dietitians. All three have the same education and sat for the same board exam, but they function extremely differently. And second to that, you could, on a micro level, if we really were to narrow this down, you could work in the same organization. Um, let's take a professional sports team, for example, or a professional sports organization, for example, and let's use the NBA. You could be a dietitian working in the NBA for one team, and that one team could value dietitians in the culinary aspect and really need a culinary professional that has an RD background to be the personal chef for the team or the culinary expert for the team. And the same organization, a different team, right? So same sport, same organization and everything in that in that matter. You could have a dietitian that is focused heavily on the clinical side and the sports performance aspect and work closely with your statisticians and 
data analytics team and strength and conditioning coach and athletic trainer to really dial in the performance aspect of nutrition and the injury prevention and rehabilitation of those athletes. So same organization, two very different job descriptions, and yet neither are wrong or right. It is just different. And so outside of the values and the mission and the vision of the department and organization or institution that you work for, it also depends on what resources you have available to you. Do you have a limitless amount of of finances available to you in a collegiate sports setting? That means that if you have a limitless resource funding, are you able to sweat test every athlete that you come in contact with? Are you able to USG test often? Are you able to provide other resources for the athletes? What's your food budget like? What does your fueling station and training table situation look like based on that organization? And then coupled with the resources, it kind of goes hand in hand, but what is your staffing structure? Depending on what sector that you're working in, staffing can impact your role significantly outside of the vision of the institution or organization or system that you're working in. So this could look like at a hospital. Again, it's very different at a hospital setting, depending on where you are and the size of the hospital and the system that you're working in. But you could be, let's take the same system, same amount of size, same amount of resources. You could have a team of, you know, a number of different dietitians working at one hospital. And your role is vastly different because your patient load is a little bit more smaller compared to if you're a team of one or two dietitians in the same size hospital, same system, and you are much more limited in what you are able to do and sustain on a day-to-day basis because of your your team size. That that affects how you perform at your job. That affects how you do your job more specifically. Maybe not how you perform. You can be a high performer and high achiever. However, the systems that you put in place that are sustainable for your success are very dependent on those around you and how big your team is. Outside of the resources and the structure available and in how your your system is ran, it also is dependent on the knowledge and integration of dietitians within that system. So how knowledgeable are those that are running departments, running systems, running infrastructures of what a dietitian does? Are they advocating for more integration of certain areas of different domains that a dietitian is knowledgeable in? Or in regards to integration, how long has a dietitian been integrated in the system that you're working in? A healthcare system, has a dietitian always been at the hospital? Have they always had a role there? Or are you introducing a new role within a care team? How does that function and how does that integration work among professionals and among different disciplines within that domain? So all of those things are very dependent on how your system and infrastructure and organization is set up. But all of those kind of tie into what a dietitian does because it, it looks so different based on the domain and based on even if the same domain, same job title, same everything, it differs from place to place. So outside of that, you kind of need to dive into the background required to become a dietitian. And with that being said, let's kind of dive into the educational requirements. So to become a dietitian, you'll need a bachelor's degree from an accredited university in nutrition. And what that accreditation means is that you basically get a stamp of approval or legitimacy for all of the nutrition courses that you are taking. And once you complete your bachelor's degree, it is now required starting in 2024 
by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics to obtain your master's degree prior to sitting for the board exam or prior to being accepted into a dietetic internship, which is a fancy term for, I, I like to call it residency. Internship has makes it seem a little lesser than what it actually is. And we'll kind of dive into the dietetic internship in a minute. So you need a bachelor's, you are now required to have a master's, and then you need to complete a dietetic internship. With the new requirements, a lot of programs are combining their master's with their dietetic internships to make a coordinated program. It kind of just speeds up the process. I personally did the old school route. I completed my bachelor's in four years and then did my master's in two. And then I did my dietetic internship separately. Now, traditionally speaking, um, a dietetic internship is an extremely competitive program, essentially. And it varies from program to program in terms of the emphasis and the focus of that program. Um, and then we can kind of dive into the different domains that there could be focal points in. But with the dietetic internship, it is around 10 to 12 months of unpaid, full immersion into the workforce within three different domains. And within that 10 to 12 month range, it could look like anywhere from one week being at a, a site or a couple months being at a specific site. And the different sites or the different job sites that you're working in is really dependent, again, on the emphasis of the program, but it, they usually fall into three different domains, food service, clinical, and community. The food service rotation, you could ask a dietitian this across the country, and you would get a numerous different answers on, and how their dietetic internship went. So a food service domain is exactly kind of what it sounds. It encompasses all of the food safety, food sanitation, and food preparation needed within different establishments. There is an array of different opportunities within each domain and food service in particularly. This differs so vastly. You, some examples of this would be you could be working in a school district under a school district dietitian and working to build menus and budgets and making sure all of the food that is serving elementary, middle, and high school Students are fitting the needs from a USDA standpoint um, to meeting the needs and then fitting within that budget provided by the school district and the government, if it's a public school. And then outside of that, another example is that you could work with a hospital dining dietitian and oversee a hospital dining service. And so what that means is you are overseeing the entire production behind the scenes of what hospital dining looks like. You're creating menus. You're helping create the budget. You're helping oversee and teach those employed by the hospital to ensure sanitation and safety are all top notch just because it is a hospital setting. There's a little bit more emphasis placed on that. And then outside of that, you could work for a meal service and create the food, run that production and procurement of the food itself, and then business develop outside of that. Other than that, there are uh, hundreds of different opportunities within this domain. And the second domain is clinical. Clinical is also pretty self-explanatory. This is the healthcare role and the hospital setting, kind of where dietitians get most of their experience in the clinical setting is in a hospital. So within that, there are multiple different branches and multiple different opportunities that you can receive experience in. Again, it's really based on what your dietetic internship is offering and what the experiences available to you within that hospital are wherever you're working in or wherever you're placed at. 
And so you could become a pediatric dietitian and work in the NICU. You could work in critical care and work in the ICU. You could gain experience working with the oncology center and become an oncology dietitian, dialysis dietitian, a diabetes dietitian, or work just general medicine, depending on the, the size of the hospital. In outpatient settings, it's more focused on the education and the transition and the behavior changes needed from transitioning from being admitted to the hospital to life after the hospital. And so that's a little bit more educational programming to individuals in groups within different rehabilitation centers or populations. So I say all that, but still some people might go, okay, so what do you do though? <laughs> do you just tell people what to eat within these settings? So I'll kind of branch over and glaze over what a day-to-day kind of looks like with an inpatient dietitian. Granted, again, I will preface this, it is different from hospital to hospital based on the system, based on the resources, and based on the size, and based on the amount of staff there at that hospital. But typically, you will do physical assessments to determine malnutrition. If you're working in critical care or in the pediatric wing in the NICU, you are doing tube feeding calculations, determining what formula, how much, how often it is given to patients, and then you're communicating that with with the rest of the care team. You are ordering supplements for people who are needing a little bit higher protein needs if, if their condition calls for that. You are analyzing labs and determining what labs are astray and communicating that with the physicians and nurses and other people on staff. You are working with speech pathology to determine what dysphagia or swallowing ability a patient has, and then placing them on a menu based on that level determined by speech pathology. You are determining what medications will have nutrient interactions and what foods or food groups or specific nutrients that these people should not be consuming based on the medications that they are that they are on, or what even the medications do to certain lab groups. So some medications may raise blood pressure. Okay, so this explains why this is elevated, or this explains why this is depleted. And so you're kind of doing all of that in conjunction to other members of the care team. So that's clinical. And then outside of clinical is community, which I kind of like to call a hodgepodge of the rest. (laughs) Community is really education-based, counseling-based. You're learning a lot of techniques to enforce and encourage behavior change among a group of people or on an individual level. And then you're learning the public health side of nutrition, the wellness side of nutrition, and kind of encompassing that all together. So within those three domains, we all as dietitians get experience within those three domains. And then depending on what job opportunities or interests kind of present themselves, that is where we kind of go down. Now, you could work in a field that encompasses all three of the domains, such as sports nutrition. So sports nutrition kind of touches all three different domains and and what focal point or what focus a program has is kind of goes back to the priorities of the administration. So at college athletics in general, let's just take it that for example, you could have five different schools in the same conference and all different schools function differently within their sports medicine or nutrition department, specifically sports nutrition. So sports nutrition, you could have an administration focused on the training table and the fueling stations and the snacks provided pre and during and post games. And so that is the priority. And so that is where your attention will shift to. 
Now, if it's more medical based or if there's been more sports dietitians kind of integrated within the system or if there's more staff, it kind of increases the ability to do more within that system based on the priorities of administration or of the university that you're working for. Likewise, with other different occupations that kind of touches all three different domains. So the other piece that I kind of mentioned that matters in regards to what a dietitian does is the integration of the dietitian. And what impacts the integration outside of the factors mentioned is the history and the long-standing establishment of dietitians within that system. So time for a little history lesson. The first documented thought, discovery, a little bit of psychopathic behavior experiment that is written down in the textbooks on how nutrition was first discovered to be important was the discovery of scurvy in the mid-1700s. So in 1747, a British naval physician noticed an illness being developed among soldiers during long voyages. He experimented with this by providing salt water to a group of soldiers, vinegar to a group of soldiers, and lime and sauerkraut to a group of soldiers. The third group that was mentioned with the limes and the sauerkraut were the only group that didn't develop this illness. Now, at the time, this physician had no idea why limes or sauerkraut impacted and prevented this illness, so they must have thought limes were gifts from gods. But um, later did we find out that this is because of a lack of vitamin C causes the specific illness that was being noted within the soldiers. So fast forward a couple of years to 1770, when chemistry really started to become developed a little bit, the concept of metabolism was established. And so there was a little bit more discovery on the transfer of food and oxygen into heat and water, creating energy and thus creating a metabolism and system within a human body. In the 1800s, chemistry really emerged and elements of the periodic table. Yep, we're going there, everyone. Elements of the periodic table were isolated and connected to health. So your carbon, your nitrogen, hydrogen, and oxygen were all discovered. And that is what our food kind of breaks down to within that periodic table. Fast forward to 100 years in 1912, a doctor coined the terms vitamins. And this was further research and discovered to be important for optimal health. So there were further research done on what foods contained what and what foods did what in the body and how they can impact overall health. And then the first staff of clinical dietitians in hospitals was in 1919, after World War I, to improve the health of wounded veterans. And that cascaded an entire interest with our U.S. military and U.S. government with the interest of nutrition and dietetics and thus increasing a demand in the field. In the 1930s and 1940s, when World War II was, was occurring, they sought out healthy soldiers to deploy in war. So there was a draft going on during this time period. During the draft, they found that a large majority of the population, of the male population, were weakened by nutrient deficiencies or nutrition-related diseases cascaded from the Great Depression. And so the government poured into investing in physiology and nutrition, vitamins and supplements were created and given to soldiers that needed them. And then physiology labs and physiology research was really heavily focused 
to improve soldiers' physical endurance. Around that same time period in Sweden, it's documented that glycogen was researched and discovered. And so how the body stores, utilizes, and resynthesizes carbohydrates was researched, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Then we fast forward a little bit into the 60s at the University of Florida. You might know where I'm going with this, but in 1965, and during that time period, there was a lot of interest in supplements and sports drinks. Now you know really where I'm going with this. So in 1965 at University of Florida, an assistant football coach was extremely inquisitive about why his athletes were dropping like flies in the Florida heat, essentially, for the lack of better words. And so this assistant coach met with a group of scientists and physiologists on the campus of University of Florida to determine why the team was struggling in the heat. And so that was the creation of Gatorade, something salty and sugary that contains both sodium and glucose to help the absorption of sodium a little bit quicker and replenish the glycogen being depleted. And that is how Gatorade was started. It's documented that it was not popular among athletes at first, which is not surprising at all. Something new and innovative was introduced to something and a group of people and they were like, ew, that still happens to this day. And now it's just heavily used, which is ironic and also not surprising. After 1965, the party really got going with strength coaches and sports medicine. Those fields and domains kind of really took off. And that also stimulated a conversation around nutrition, specifically sports nutrition, if we're really diving in there. So in 1994, the first full-time sports dietitian was hired at the University of Nebraska, shortly following a sports medicine guideline put out for athletes regarding nutrition. And when that sports RD was hired in 1994, this kind of, again, snowballed and grew popularity within the sports nutrition realm. Kind of going into the hiring and demand of dietitians within the sports world, 10 years later in 2004, the New England Patriots hired their first sports dietitian. Shortly after, in 2006, the Olympic Training Center hired theirs. And then it wasn't until 2015 where the NBA hired their first sports dietitian at the Milwaukee Bucks. So this stimulates a conversation kind of dating back to what I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. The growth of this profession is exponential. We have seen a huge shift in the need of sports dietitians specifically and dietitians in general. That's why in the hospital systems, dietitians are a little bit more established and a little bit more routine and integrated because they've been established and integrated much longer, historically speaking. And in regards to some teams still don't have full-time dietitians on their staff, which goes to show that this field is still evolving and growing and needing to find a seat at the table. So historically speaking, when dietitians were not at the table, strength coaches or athletic trainers or physicians or nurses absorbed that role of being a dietitian. So as this profession is growing so rapidly and being integrated so rapidly within every domain and every sector a dietitian can work in, it goes to the school of thought of behavior change and creating 
a new established role within that system? How do you do that effectively? And how do you educate and increase awareness, but at the same time, integrate effectively? How do you tell someone who's used to doing something so often and so much that there's a different way to do something? How do you create that conversation around it? So taking this conversation a little deeper and how a dietitian can impact whatever system that they're in kind of speaks volumes on our way of life and how we process things, especially in a first world country in America. We are a instant gratification culture. And in healthcare, that translates to being very reactionary as opposed to preventative. That is where dietitians can fit in. We can fit in in the reactionary and mediate care during recovery and and make behavior change after something is needed. And sometimes a population, an individual, needs something drastically to change their behavior. So, for example, if an individual has a heart attack and it is nutritionally related, that can be prevented with behavior changes before you have a heart attack. Now, the thing is about nutrition is that you won't really see it coming or you won't really see the benefits of it. If you are a, so to speak, healthy individual, but you drink a lot of alcohol, you eat a lot of fatty foods, and you don't go to the doctor's office very often, or you don't get labs done very often, so you don't know your cholesterol levels or lipid levels or triglyceride levels, that can be like, why would I eat differently. I feel great. I'm fine. I function normally. I totally fine. But the minute that you have a heart attack and all of these different lab levels and values come to light, then we make a change and shift our behavior. So all that being said is that nutrition professionals and dietitians can really shift the way we we do things, but it's not sexy. That's the problem. It's not instant gratification. It's not a quick fix. It's consistency and it takes a lot of effort to integrate nutrition and integrate good practices prior to a life event happening. Outside of kind of shifting to a more preventative culture, dietitians can bring a lot of value to a care team. With that being said, depending on the background, depending on the background of the individual, a dietitian can be a little bit more clinical based and work with physicians within that discipline to why different lab values are off and continue the conversation as to what other investigative resources can we do to pinpoint why this is happening to this individual. In athletics in general, sports dietitians are, like I said, one of the fastest growing fields. If we really were to take the NBA for an example, in 2015, that was their first hire of their sports dietitian. And not all teams have a full-time dietitian on their staff. And what a dietitian can do and what they can bring to the table is enormous. Anyone can tell anyone to eat more carbohydrates during workout or eat more protein after workout or eat quick carbs before and after. Anyone can do that. But in regards to going from a great organization to a elite organization, dietitians can make that happen. So diving into the different topics that, that we can bring value to. A couple examples of this is making customized nutritional plans, optimizing recovery strategy, 
making safe weight management goals and informed supplement guidance, prevention and early detection of eating disorders, educational resources, hydration resources, and travel nutrition, and making sure that performance nutrition is the the forefront. So all of this encompasses the well-being of the athlete, number one, and number two, the performance aspect of this. So you can use dietitians as alongside with physiologists and sports medicine and strength conditioning to really optimize everyone's health and optimize everyone's performance to give you a greater edge at your performance or at your sport involved. So outside of all of that, of the background to become a dietitian, how to integrate, I kind of want to leave every podcast with a thought. So how do you, and I've already questioned this, but outside of being a dietitian or in a healthcare profession, if you're just here because you're supporting or here because you're interested or intrigued by this topic, how can you change your behavior by one little thing? And what does that process look like for you on a micro level? So if you don't do something, but you want to incorporate more of something into your life, how do you incorporate that more? On a macro level, how do you change a system and a group of people's thought and opinions on how something should work. If you evaluate a system and you go, oh, the system's working great, how can we make it better? Or is it working optimally? Or how do you enhance the system that's already working great? And how do you change a system that needs a little bit more help to to become great or become elite? The old saying of, if it's broke, don't fix it. I totally get that. And simplicity is key. However, there's a lot of room, especially on the performance side of nutrition, and especially as new research emerges and new research opportunities emerge, there's a lot more room for growth and a lot more ways to integrate dietitians within every system. So that is the thought. How do you change behavior on a micro level? And how do you change behavior on a macro level? Is it relationships and trust and education and awareness? Is it a combination of all of those different factors? Or is it dependent on who is in the system? What's the system look like? And how do we continue to evolve together within whatever system we're talking about? So that is where I will leave you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. If this podcast resonated with you or you think it would resonate with someone else, please share the intent of this entire podcast, not just this episode in general, but is to cultivate more conversation around this um, alongside creating more conversation around the psychology behind nutrition, behavior change, how to educate effectively. So if you know somebody that will enjoy listening or would want to be a guest, please let me know. I am happy and open to any and all discussion for growth. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast and I just appreciate again your time. Thanks so much and I'll see you next time.